All right, all right. Well, welcome everybody. You guys, for clarity, if you're just so you know what session you're in, you're in the demon possession. How to cast out Pastor Mark? Is that? That's right. And so, uh, just kidding. Uh, we're well. It's actually kind of because you're talking about youth and kids. So yeah, it's demon possession. How to handle demon possessed people? And so, uh, man, we are uh, we're so honored to learn from two of the best in what we call family ministries is really kids and youth and college and just that next gen spirit. And so Pastor Mark Pettis and Pastor Beth Cunningham, uh, just incredible leaders to learn from. And so uh, they mentioned they're gonna do like 30, 45 minute kind of flow. And, and then if you wanna do Q and A after, would that be okay? And I'll walk around with the, the mic and uh, if you get crazy, I'll snatch you out of here and uh, it'll be all good. So I'm so excited to learn. I spent 10 years in youth ministry myself. We just planted a church in San Antonio last year. and. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. And uh, man, I, youth are starting to come to our church and I'm like, you're all weird, you know? And so it's, uh, I want to learn. I'm excited today to learn and uh, and to hear what, what they have to say. So without further ado, and I'll get off the stage and let the real experts talk. So let's give it up for uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Beth. Awesome. Well, uh, so great seeing you guys. And it's been an honor to, to have you here at Highlands. And uh, it's been an amazing conference, hasn't it? Yeah. And, I just, and it's, God's always so faithful to build, and, and I feel like that last session we just had is so powerful. There's no one like Mekon Carter, and just so precise into the heart of, of I think, all of, into the heart of the leader. And I, I think these breakouts are so fun because we get to follow those sessions that are really geared towards us. As we're learning and growing, we also get to get equipped. And so I've been in other breakouts myself, growing and learning, and our heart here today is to, to share um, some some you know, ideas and things that are happening here at Highlands, but also as we do Q&A, we'll be hearing and learning from each other. And right. so super exciting, uh, excited for that. Just introduce myself really fast, and I want to introduce this incredible leader next to me. Uh, my name is Mark Pettis. I've had the honor of serving here at Highlands um, for the last 13 years. And so, but I've been here at the church really since the beginning and just seen the, the move of God truly that is, is, is Church of the Highlands and worked with our students along the way and still oversee that, that department. But in fact, our youth, our current youth pastor, who's a phenomenal leader, is Bubba still in here. I know he's helping people get in, right there in the back. Bubba Matthews is right here in the back, and just an honor for him to step into that role. I love students. I'll always be involved in youth ministry, um, and um, Bubba's here today because he's a phenomenal leader himself, and he probably can answer now more questions even than I can uh, in the trenches because he's doing a great job just building on that and making it better than ever before. Um, and currently leading our Highlands College. That's where my wife, Jill, and I really are, are, are planted in the trench and just seeing God do amazing things there. And the heart of our pastor is to develop leaders. And what we love, as I get ready to introduce Beth, and really this is her heart, is that we think that starts from the very moment they're born, that we see in every student, every young person, every kid, every baby, God's potential. And no one embodies that more than our kids pastor, uh, Beth Cunningham. So I'll let her share more about her passion for Highlands and kids, but can y'all give it up for Beth, an amazing leader. Thank you so much. As Mark said, I'm just so honored to be with you guys. Anytime we get to be in a room of people who are committed to the next generation, I just want to say thank you uh, for what you do. And especially, um, can I just give a shout out to the kids people for a second? Uh, I know, I know that the third grader or two-year-old, you know, that you're investing in right now might not look you in the eyes and tell you thank you yet because they don't have the ability to articulate that. 
So on behalf of them, I, I want to say thank you to you. You know, heaven will tell. And the great thing about kids ministry, I always say we get to tell kids the truth. And the idea that we have the privilege of shaping their worldview and how they view themselves and how they view other people and ultimately how they see their heavenly father. What a privilege, right? And so thankful that we get to be on this journey. Um, I've been on staff here for 12 years and am just beyond, can't even believe that um, I get to be a part of the miracle of our local church. And I know all of you feel that way. I pray that when you show up in your building every week or your school or whatever it is, that you never lose the wonder that we get to do this. Like we get to do this and we get to impact this next generation and we get to influence families. And I'm telling you, the enemy is, he's out to destroy this generation. You know, he's always wanted to steal the heart of the child. He's always wanted to steal the child. And, and praise God, we're on the front lines of saying, not on our watch in yeah. Jesus' name. So just Y'all better so watch it. Bethel start preaching. She will go. <laughs> I'm over here like, just go, fan that into flame. Let's go. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to take about 30 minutes. That's our goal. And um, it's so hot in here, but it was really cold in there. Anybody else? We're shifting into this new climate. And so um, I know it is hot. I know it's packed, but we'll, we'll stay within this hour time frame. First 30 minutes, we want to just share some of our uh, heart as a, as a church. This reflects Pastor Chris's heart for family ministries that birthed through that early college age. And then we're going to share a little bit of philosophy. I'll let Beth go first behind uh, what she's done, a phenomenal job, which is, is taking Pastor Chris's heart and transferring that into the kids' ministry environment and a philosophy that we have behind that. She's going to share that. And then I'll back, kind of follow her with the philosophy towards student ministry right now at Highlands. And then that'll lead to some programming thoughts. We don't want to go too far in, into any of those um, directions because we want to make sure we're, we're answering your questions. So that'll lead us to kind of that time of Q&A. That, that works for everybody. Um, if you got your uh, notes out or your phone out, whatever, would love you to write down this verse just to start with this, and I'll let Beth jump in. This verse really reflects our vision, our heart. Um, I think this is an, an amazing target for us that God's given us. If you were to say, what's your goal in family ministry, it would be this verse. Yeah. Um, Psalm 92, I'm sure you've read it before, verses 12 through 15 says that the godly will flourish like palm trees. And, and in the Bible, palm trees are a representative of health. So they represent health. So the, the godly will be, will be healthy. And they will grow strong like cedars of Lebanon. And of course, those cedars of Lebanon represented an incredible strength and longevity. And, and then it says, the, and this is the key, verse 13, it's all because they are transplanted. So they were somewhere else. Yes. They were taken, they were plucked from where they were, and they were moved where? Into the house of God. They were planted now in the house. And I love the fact that they were transplanted. So they were born in the world we live in in 2019. It's a crazy world. But there, there was someone, you, us, that came alongside, partnered with the Holy Spirit and helped transplant them from wherever they came from, broken family, divorce, you know, addiction, background, whatever it might be. The, the most broken to, to those who've been in church their entire life, they were transplanted from that place into God's house, and because of that, now they're flourishing. Yes. Isn't that a beautiful picture God gives us of what happens when you get planted in church, into God's house? They're flourishing in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they'll still produce fruit. And I know anyone in this room, I, I signed up for that reason. I love when a student raises their hand, and I love when I, and I, I see moments of, of worship, but what I really what motivates me is when I see fruit in their life, yes. where, it's, where it's five, yes. six, now I've been able to see seven or eight years yes. later, students who raise that hand and begin to worship God are now following through, chasing after their calling and their purpose. And of course, that starts at a very young age, and I see that in my kids' life and best area. It's just, it's the beautiful picture of what God can do through any of us, and he just, he does it through his church, the local church. And then here's, here's, a, here's a promise, a really a prophetic vision for this generation. The world's got a lot of negativity out there, but we believe they're going to remain vital and green. 
And at the end of their life, they will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. Yes. And then now they're having a generational impact on the next generation. Right. Long past our influence in their life. Now they're the ones representing Jesus. And we just look to that verse in every area of family ministry. And it gives us a great target. For a long time, just as a youth pastor, I thought, you know, like, what's the win? How do we know right. if we're winning? Is it just a student who's fired up for God? You know, and that's really subjective. It's hard to identify. And maybe you have an idea of that. But if that's your only target, man, that's, praise God for when you see it. But how do we get there? And how do we re reproduce that? And what God did when he led us to this verse is realize our job in family ministry is to, is to come underneath the vision of the local house we're in. Yes. And to take kids and students from where they are into his house. And then he does the promises here are all from him, yes. that they will be healthy and strong, that they'll produce fruit and have genera generational impact. And for us, that's given us a, a great, a powerful picture of the promise of, of God for these areas. And I think everything's really led from that. So Beth, if you would jump in and just sh share how you and your team have built a philosophy around doing that right now at Highlands, which we're, you know, we're, we have campuses all over the state of Alabama, different kinds of environments, small and large. People think of Highlands as a big church, but really every kind of environment. And you've been able to transfer that into those different environments and, and have the same heart and vision. So share that. Right. I think um, it's important, especially when we hone in on the kids' experience. I think there's kind of five critical things that we're looking for. If you just want to um, kind of have a, I'm a list person, anybody? Um, but the the framework that we think about for kids ministry in particular in, in the scope of family ministry, we always go back to 3 John 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So if I were to summate like in, in Highlands Kids, what we're trying to accomplish on a Sunday, it's as simple as this. We tell kids the truth. And what I mean by that is we have focused in with a laser-like focus on that Sunday matters. Right? Let me just context. We have these millennial parents now who are, it is not an inherent value to them that I'm just going to bring my kids to church on Sunday. You know that, right? Like we're, we have soccer games. We've got, um, we have all these different ways that they are forming community. And, and Mark is that parent. So I think about like his friends and the people in his community. There's a million things for them to choose. And even here in good old Bible Belt, Alabama, we are saying as a kids' ministry, Sunday has to be the main thing. We've got this one one opportunity and we have to work with laser-like focus to create an environment where that kid doesn't want to miss it because we have an opportunity to tell them the truth, right? That we're going to tell the truth and Sunday matters. So we have to create an experience. Every Sunday, what experience are we creating that a nine-year-old is saying, I've got to get to Highlands Kids today? right? And, and that might be a leader. That might be Foursquare. That might be a giveaway. That might be a series. I don't know what it is, but we've got to hook that family because we understand that it is the child saying, mom, will you bring me? That's actually going to get that family to church. Okay. So it's got to be a laser-like focus on Sunday. We can't, we can't be wandering off into a million different directions if we're going to win with this generation of parents and getting them into God's house. And um, the second thing is we have to keep it safe. So if we can get them here, if we can get them into our houses, the second thing is we, we have this opportunity to build the big word is trust. And we've got to keep it safe. And, and just realize that I, 
I feel like as a children's pastor here at Highlands, I'm responsible for the kids' ministry at Church of the Highlands. But I also understand, especially those of you who are kids and students, I have a responsibility to my pastor. I have a responsibility to everything that God has been building in this house that I have to be the most educated, most knowledgeable person in the room when it comes to how to prevent abuse, when it comes to policies and procedures. Like, we don't get to say we're not rule people, right? Like, like we, I understand that because this is the demographic that God has entrusted us to, that we have to educate ourselves. We have to go above and beyond to keep it safe because the enemy wants to come in and he will always try to destroy a local church through two things. One will be the moral failure of a senior leader and the other would be something happening to a child, right? And so, so we, don't, we can't afford to not be wise in this area. Right, we have to educate ourselves. We have to to put in every safeguard, and, and we can get into the weeds on how we do that. But we've got to keep it safe, because because you know what? If I can realize parents are trusting us with the most valuable thing that God has ever given them, think about the weight of that. Like a mom and dad hands me their baby, right? It's trust. So we have to keep it safe. The third thing that we think about all the time is that we build the bridge. We build the bridge. And, and what I mean by this, oh my gosh, I have to stand up a little bit. We build the bridge. If you think about this, and this is a privilege, I pray that you understand. When you love someone's kids well, there is nothing that they, I mean, I can tell you every person who has impacted my child's life. I have all the grace for them. You talk bad about them, I won't believe a word you say, right? Like they can mess up and I don't care because you love Tyler Cunningham. Conversely, you wrong my kids and I love Jesus, but I may cut you. <laughs> we build the bridge. Look at me, there is, there is the church, there is, there is the house of God and there are parents. And this child, they're the bridge. And when I love that child well, and when I know what's going on in that child's life, and I advocate for that child, and I call their name, all of a sudden, I have access to mom and dad. And let me just say, we, we have to empower our teams on Sundays. One of the biggest things that we would say is we refuse to be a tiny little kingdom of tiny little people doing our tiny little thing down here in kids' ministry. No, no, no. When that mama breaks down and cries to you because her husband has a porn addiction and she doesn't know what to do, the person on your team needs to have an answer for her. They can't, right? Like, we got the best story this past week. There was a mom who showed up at one of our campuses. She has um, moved away had not been in church in eight months, not been able to attend church in eight months, overwhelmed, and she wrote this post on Instagram. She had come to our Auburn campus to be with her sister for the weekend. She went to church. She dropped her kids off depressed, lonely, and she said, if I can't leave my, if they call me for my kids, I, I think I'm just done with church and I'm just walking away. Of course, one of her children has a complete meltdown sobbing to the point that our team needs to call just to see, hey, how do you want us to handle this? She gets down to our area and that team member saw her state, prayed over her, rocked that screaming two-year-old for an hour and 10 minutes. When she came back, met with her, she posted a picture of Instagram of a Diet Coke and chocolate. And she said, Highland's kids restored my faith today. 
because we're the bridge. Like, can I get Diet Coke and chocolate for every mama who's having a bad day? No, but in that moment, I thank God that our team knew I'm the bridge today. Like, I'm gonna love, I'm gonna be that connector. So this mom said, I'm going back to Savannah and I'm determined to find a local church. Come on. Like, I'm determined to get plugged in. Like, I'm not giving up. It's powerful. So, so we understand we're the bridge to the family. Fourth thing, we're really working on big right now in kids ministry is that we have to share the story. You're, you know, Mark has the privilege of 17-year-olds who talk. We don't always have that. Come on, y'all. We've got, and, and this is the thing, the onus on us in our area is I, we have to be the best storytellers on the planet. Because, and you've got to train your team, especially, you know, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to staff Sunday? How am I going to make, be a storyteller. Because what we're learning from our parents is they want to know what's happening in our ministry. And sometimes it's our fault. It's my fault that I haven't told them the awesome things that are happening in their child's life. You know, and I haven't shared that story with my team members. I, you know, I was thinking, the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. We have won. We know who wins. Okay, like y'all know we win. But we overcome. See, I overcome by your story. When, when, when God hasn't healed me yet, he healed you right? When God hasn't moved yet in my family situation, wait a second, when my kid's messed up and I can't see how it's going to work out, praise God, your story showed me your child made it out. Come on. And so I, I think we've got to be the best storytellers on the planet. We tell the stories. Mark laughed. We, um, we got some feedback from parents and parents like, yeah, Howland's Kids does the best job teaching our kids about prayer. And Mark made the most wise point to me. He's like, Bev, it's not, I mean, we're not doing prayer series every week and kids ministry, it's that we tell the story of what the kids are writing on the prayer card. So what do parents automatically assume? All we're doing is teaching kids about prayer. No, we're telling the story. God's moving in your kid's life. And I'm telling you, we've got to become master storytellers, um, you know, to, to, to really capture the heart of team and to capture the heart of parents. And the last thing um, that we're learning right now in the ministry um, is that we have to be a place that is empowering leaders. And I mean that, and Mark said this so beautifully, with a generational impact. So, so what, we're, what, we're, what we're discovering is that there is a place for you. I don't care who you are. I can convince anybody to serve in kids ministry. <laughs> Do you know why? Because there is a biblical mandate to serve the next generation. Right, and that may be a that may be a, a teen, but what we're seeing is that we're empowering leaders at incredibly high rates in kids ministry because there's a 12 year old who has discovered that they have something to give by handing out candy at this door in this kindergarten room, right? And and that that we understand that we have this opportunity in in family ministry to not only help a child come to know Christ and come to know the word and that God is true, but also to find their place in the house of God in an early age serving. So you'll see a 13-year-old serving along a 60-year-old, and isn't that what God wants, right? That the generations are learning from and speaking into each other. So if I can encourage you in anything in your systems, make sure that there is room in your ministry for that type of cross-pollination, that I can show up at the Grandview campus and I can see Miss Candy, who's 70 years old, serving alongside Mark's son, 
And what a beautiful picture of what God wants the church to look like. Yeah. That's, that's where we are. Yeah. Incredible. And so I, I love just thinking through those, those, those ideas and maybe um, uh, you guys will already, I know we'll already have questions and I think, you know, the, the sharing truth, such a, a great picture, especially with young parents and the way church and even here in the Bible Belt is shifting and the way people's lives are shifting. It's that one shot. There's an urgency around creating excellence in all those areas. Right. And knowing that every part of the service is intentional to reach and to speak God's truth because it may be your only shot. It, it may be. It may be the only the, shot we have. I think the safety things, Beth and I were talking earlier about the safety thing, and I bet there will be questions around that. Just how can we continue to do that? Because there again, if we lose that moment, number one, we're that there's a child's life involved, but then we also lose trust with parents yes. and with the public, which is just we we've got too many of those stories going around, and we got to be so careful there. And you're on the cutting edge of that. I really do. Uh, if no one else asks a question, I'll ask a question because I want to make sure they hear what you're doing because we're doing it in student ministry, following your lead, yes. just to be in front of that and and to get the best training um, ever. Storytelling is a huge deal in every area more more than ever. It's the emotional connection people have with our ministry, and I think I think it's we're, we are discovering new ways to do that, which is. Which, which is amazing. And I think all, all of that wrapped inside of this incredible environment with a team that is multi-generational. Yes. Uh, is, is, it's a beautiful picture. And so if you have questions on on any of those lanes, then then let's definitely dig into it. What I love is that we get to pick up, you know, the, the torch or, or pass the baton from, from best team. And there's a deep relationship there. And I think it has to be that way, by the way. Yes. You know, I, the church I grew up into, it was very siloed and segmented. And there was almost competition naturally because because of that silo right. between different areas. And even for us, like in, I remember my student ministry, this little church, small town, Alabama, it was like, as a student ministry, we were always, always trying to show the adults, like everything, you know, here's how we work. We're passionate worshipers, you know, and we were always out to prove. And all that did was create unnecessary competition. Like Mekon was talking today, we're just fighting in the wrong direction. And so that symmetry is so important and, and it's, it's not easy. It's like any relationship, you got to fight for it and you got to make sure that there's great communication and connection. And ultimately, that there's clarity of vision. I said that at the beginning. I want to say it again. If you don't know what you're doing, then then you then you're de- you're destined to separate. You're destined to go in a different direction. But because there's a synergizing vision above the whole church, including our two areas, then if we miss it, we're still missing it generally in the same direction. Right. And now we're just realigning our goals and, and making sure that we're blending well, especially at that 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 handoff moment, which for us is coming. You know, that fifth grade year into sixth grade year, um, we're blending and and parent communication has been primarily from them. It's shifting to us. Programming is changing. All those things are important. So for us, you know, there's two two mindsets, and I'll kind of share our philosophy. One is, obviously, the beauty is we're getting a lot of kids straight out of kids' ministry here at Highlands. Right. And we're and with those students, we're building on a foundation, while at the same time, we're reaching families in our church and just outright, you know, students that maybe their families aren't even in church or completely unchurched mm-hmm. who are coming in from a different angle. And so one of the things we're really working hard right on right, on right now um, is is studying where culture is, and one of the this might sound like a dumb revelation, but maybe you can identify with this. I've been thinking about millennials for a long time, right? It's what you read about, but millennials are old. I mean, the youngest millennial is twenty two. So, so we're spending a lot of time talking about millennials, and we, we, me and Bubba were laughing a while back. We're like, we don't, we're not reaching any millennials, right. and so we Bubba's brilliant with this as well. Like we together, we spend a lot of time just studying generations, and just to summarize what we discovered because it's helped us think differently as we reach this generation, especially the ones who are unchurched, is that, you know, Generation X, which would be born from like 1965 to 1980. How many of y'all are Generation X? Anybody? Raise your hand. Be proud of that. That's cool. That's a good, a big deal. So I, uh, and then and then millennials will be right after that, born from 81, which I'm a first-year millennial. I discovered that a while back and was like, I had an identity crisis. You know? I'm a millennial. 
Like I've been talking, I've been talking about it. Then I am them. You know, it's like it's crazy. Um, but um, millennials would be born, you know, eighty-one through nineteen ninety-five. And so there's this this interesting shift when you study it. Generation X is the last generation that was rooted kind of in the old America. Now, things were always changing. This is broad strokes. But, but when you talked about, I think a lot of times we're actually in, in churches across America, we're still reaching with a Generation X mentality. That's right. It's good. And Generation X America was faith was at the center. I think we, all, I think we overestimate how important faith is still, right. not just in, in Alabama, but across America. The water level is lower than it's ever been. And just have to understand that's the truth because 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 we're thinking of the way it used to be. And even physically, churches, right, were in the center of cities. It's the center of, of an environment. Uh, America was primarily mono-religious. So there's yes. one primary faith, Christian. And now even that word is really broad in America, what a Christian would be or mean. Uh, things were slower paced. People looked similar. Uh, there was a lot of central control. So people, tr- y'all not going to believe this, but in the old days, people trusted government. And that's why we had denominations primarily were built around trust and now we don't trust any institution, right? Like right. people don't trust institutions. They actually trust, they, they look for individuals, not institutions. Right. They won't, they, they're not looking to your church feed. They're looking to your feed. They don't, cause they don't trust. They don't, they by nature don't, they're poised that way. So, so that, but, but the idol of that kind of time was a, a false piety. So there was like this, look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're a mess. Right. So the millennials come along with these nuclear generational bomb comes along. And millennials are known as a bridge generation because they are rooted, especially the older millennials like me. We're rooted. I, I grew up in a home where I had a house phone. And I went to Blockbuster. And, you know, like, you know, yeah. But my, my first bill, my first bill as for Jill and I when we, when we got married was Netflix. It was back before streaming. It was DVD. But that was like the first thing we were like, we're signing off on. It was like $4.99 a month. Yeah, we're committing. We're one DVD at a time. We didn't do the four DVD at a time. It was one at a time. And so, so like that, that's an example of a bridge. So the interesting thing is we got, a, truthfully, we got away with reaching millennials because they were still rooted in Generation X. It's been a slow fade, but it's allowed us to be a little bit lazy. Because we were reaching them in ways where you're reaching that kind of that religious false piety, that external. They wanna, they wanna look good. They want, they wanna do right. There's a tendency towards that. There's not a tendency towards that anymore. All right. So Generation Z, which is our current generation, which I hate that name. We're gonna rename them. We have renamed them. Gener- the now generation, but no one's picked that up yet. But we'll, we have. And so if they won't name them, we'll name them. And we'll give them identity that's purpose and hope and future and destiny. Um, and, and so Generation Z is faith is at the margins. Stats say it's literally like eighth or ninth on the list of top 10 things they care about, interested in. They're not even thinking about it. Right. It's like very important. Pluralistic. So it's not monoreligious. There's a broad spectrum of actual religions, but you need to know this. Generation Z, they're actually creating their own religion. They're a melting pot of whatever feels good. They can raise their hand on Wednesday and on Thursday. They're an atheist. And in their mind, there's not even an issue. That's just like, ah, oh, a little this, a little this, a little this. So very idealistic and very individualistic. Frantic, there's now a 47-hour work week, which Mekong, I, I mean, everything he said was profound. But sleeping on your family and your kids, because we have an extra eight-hour workday a week now not even counting us checking our phone and email and stuff at home. So we're, we're sleeping because we're, we're busy and we're worn out. We're self-medicating. Diverse, which is beautiful. And at the same time, it's, it's a context we have to learn how to live in in a healthy way. And the issue there is tolerance because tolerance 
should lead to actual pure diversity, which is God's plan. But tolerance in our world means not human tolerance, it's idea tolerance. So if you come against my idea, I actually will come against you, which is, which is scary. So we sometimes say the word diversity, but really the way we're living is not God's picture of that. It's, it's right. like, you gotta let me do me. Right. And that's very dangerous if we're not careful with it. And it's just open source world, so everything is flat. And the new idol is that word tolerance. So all of that to say, what we've come to the reality is in, a, in Alabama, the Bible Belt of America, this is our reality, is we're not reaching a group of, you know, false piety, want to look good on the outside, inside, things are messed up. No, now they're living pretty openly on the outside. Here it all is. I just don't care. And really, if you trace that down, long story short, it's because we had this mindset of that old way. You know, we were acting like priests. And we've realized now, if we're going to reach this generation, we have to be missionaries. Right. So three questions missionaries have to answer to reach an unreached people group. My brother's a missionary in Nepal, so he is actually, he's really smart, a lot smarter than me. So we FaceTimed for a few weeks and came up with these three things, summarizing a lot of stuff he studied and we've studied. If our students don't graduate knowing the answer to these questions, we have failed them. Okay, philosophy, and we're gonna get to Q&A. Number one, what is truth? One. Now again, the beautiful thing here is now you're seeing symmetry. That's the best number one. That's our number one. Because they're untethered, truth is the rock they build their life on. So the ones we inherit, the beautiful thing is we're building on that truth. The ones we're reaching, we assume they have, we don't, we don't, their water level, we would have, I would have preached the message here even five years ago. I told Bubba a while back, he's like, we can't even, I don't want another altar call without us explaining the gospel because they don't know the gospel. Right. <laughs> and maybe they do, but I'm not going to assume they do. Right. For the ones that do, praise God. The ones that don't, they didn't just raise their hand, have an emotional experience that confused them three days later. Right. When they get a letter in the mail about things they never knew they signed up for. Right, so I mean, we got to make sure they have context, and so what is truth? And of course, that's what Jesus, Pilate, you know, just like, you know, when they have this conversation, Pilate says, "What is truth?" And Jesus is like, "I am truth," which means you can be right in front of truth and not recognize truth. Which so so just throwing it out there is not enough; it has to contextualize. Right. And so I think the important thing for us to understand there, and I love Tim Keller; he's brilliant, right? Yeah. Uh, we all like, man, I wish we could be smart like Tim Keller. So he says this, he, you know, he's, he built he built a beautiful church in metropolitan New York. He said to build that church, what we realized is we, that, that Jesus is okay with this and we're okay with this, that Jesus is okay before he's beautiful. He said, apply scripture to fix their life because God's yes. word is living and active. Yes. Edification, show them how the Bible can solve the issues of their life because they're desperate for help. They don't want God, they want help. And they'll take it from anywhere if it's, if it's helpful. Problem is we gotta unpack that and get into their lives. So from the platforms, and we're, salt, we're, we're speaking messages directly to the situations in their life. Us primarily in our small groups, we're, we're small groups youth ministry. We are now shifting from small groups that are really just a mini sermon to conversations about faith. Yes. Where our leaders are being trained to throw out questions and rabbinical, right? Let's just talk about it. And actually, I'm going to actually answer your question with a question and my question with a question. And we're actually, right. until they self-discover, and when they self-discover, they've discovered truth. And now, the cool thing about this generation is they'll die for it. Like if they, they, yeah. they didn't really self, the Holy Spirit led them there and used right. us as part of that journey, whether it be from a platform a service or in a small group, but once they got, get a hold of it, it's like that breadcrumb, you get one piece, now you want more. And we're, right. and we're just gonna be with them on the journey of leading them down, discovering truth and applying it in their life because God's word works and we cannot try to be, re I think a lot of times in student ministry, we're trying to be relevant and we're preaching messages with no substance. And they're actually saying, I don't need more emotion. I got plenty of that, I need help. Right. <laughs> don't make me, I'm feeling all the time. And I know you can preach and make me feel again and get away with it, but I, my family's falling apart. And I've tried everything and nothing's helped. And that's what they're looking for is help. Secondly is where do I belong? 
So what is truth? Where do I belong? And, and God's word says in Psalm 68 that, that he sets the lonely in families. We have, you know, sin has broken the family. The devil's always attacking family. So what Beth and I's deepest connection is on this. We have to fight for family. And the cool thing is that God has given us the ability through the church to create family so that there is an, there is an opportunity for family for anyone young. We do, we do small groups and kids through student ministry to belong in a healthy, thriving yes. family. So our deepest work and what Bubba's best at, he's an incredible preacher, but what Bubba and the team are best at are creating environments of family. And so when I just said a minute ago, we are a small groups ministry. We're not a service ministry. We are, our primary focus is creating groups or environments for students to get into family because when they get into family, and honestly, I think this is the most evangelistic tool. If you want to mind one thing, like maybe this is like the aha moment for student ministry that we have discovered, and I just want to repeat it, is that it's not lights and sound or screens. It's culture, a family culture. Yeah. If you create together, you'll reach your city. Because yes. healthy together, like they don't have friends. In fact, they now uh, students now say, how many friends do you have? And they say, well, what are you talking about? If you're talking about social media, 300 is the average. If you're talking about real friends, two. And when you really press them, they're like, ah, one. You know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's debatable. So creating these environments of godly diversity. So if you want to create, create family, godly diversity. Let it look like, the, like yeah. humanity. Yeah which doesn't just mean race, by the way, and that's important. Also, just that there's not just this one type of person there. Like, yes. you know, we're not clicking other and exclusive and pushing away. No, no, no. It's, in, it's where everybody's involved, where you're at. You're struggling with that. You're struggling with this identity issue. You're struggling with this sin. You're, no, you're all, everybody's welcome. It's diverse, which creates an authenticity, right? The leadership has to have empathy, which means I feel what you feel. I can't believe you reach you. If you're now in student ministry and you're annoyed, please leave. Okay, it's like Scooby-Doo's, like those darn kids. That's the whole point. But to really reach them, you got to feel what they feel because they're not a problem to solve. They're a person, right? They're yeah. like, and it's, it's so stupid. Can I, I'll be the first to say their issues are ridiculous and most of them are stupid and we can solve them in 10 seconds. It's not about the issues. It's, it's about a person walking through something that for them is as real as that time you broke up with your junior high girlfriend and you cried for three days. Yeah. All right, let's not forget that, all right? Yeah. And then it's not say, that's probably not the best word, but just make it easy to come to Christ. This is transactional, and we still do this, by the way. Hand raises are important. They are actions of faith, yeah. but fruit is how we know them. That doesn't happen generally after this day one. It's a process. Now, right. heaven and hell, I trust God's, in a moment you can be saved, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight for that student like I'm reaching them every time I get around them. Yes. And I'm just going to keep reaching them and pulling them in, and I'm going to let God deal with all that. I'm just going to give every environment as a chance to come closer to Christ trusting that in that environment of family that they see that they are free to do it at their pace. Like you're invited right now to come as far as you want, but we're not pushing you out if you're not fixed overnight. Right. We're going to like make it easy for you to come to Christ. And, and we're, here's how we do that. Just celebrate win. Every, every time they showed up the next week, oh my God, you showed up. I mean, it's like every time they do something that is more than they were doing, you see a little fruit. It's like, ah, Yes, we celebrate that. We see that. We recognize that. And you're just in creating the environment of long family. Here's the last one. That is, does my life matter? And Beth and I were both, I mean, it's literally, it's like said differently, but honestly, the, almost the same content, right, of just that generational influence of leadership. And our key verse for, for our motion, which our student ministry is in, we're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us. And I just would say, to summarize this really quickly to get to Q&A, is that we know that every student has a destiny. If you don't believe that, please, that's, that's like ground one. Like that's, that's like, we got to get that settled in our heart. So, so here's the thing, their assumption again, broad strokes, but they're probably not hearing that at home, which means that most likely you and your ministry are the place that that will be spoken. 
So if we don't see something in them that they don't see in themselves and may, possibly no one else sees it. So if we don't see it, then they can miss out on the good thing that God planned for them. So our primary goal, where it all leads, yes. is calling destiny out in the lives of students. I mean, I'm here today because my youth teacher leader. No one had ever said that to me. I have an amazing dad, but he wasn't spiritual at that point in his life. So if my dad didn't have prophetic vision into my life. He was loving me, but no one had ever said, I see more in you than you're currently living. Right. And I was, re- I was wrecked with fear because I was stuck. I was afraid of the future, and someone had to paint a picture of that future, right. which eventually gave me faith to step into it. And so we want it in every environment, whether it's a stage, whether it's a small group, whether it's a retreat or a conference, we are always going to speak vision. And then here's the cool thing about our church. If you don't have this resource, lock in with us. We would love to help you. That is create next steps. And that's what our church is all about so that students can actually get there. Our touchdown is when a student is serving on the dream team, which is what we call volunteers. And this is how we would practically walk this one out. And that's when we really feel like they've gotten planted in the house. So now they're, they're here and we have the rest of their life to disciple them. So I don't have to fix it all by 18. You know, we, we, we're, right. we're like, we're, we're passing them into, into church, like, praise God, here we go. Now we got the rest of their life because we think bigger than, than, you know, it's not defensive, it's offensive. We're not, don't go to the party. Here's something bigger than the party. Right. And so in every environment, it's affirming and challenge. This is the last thing I'll say. This is how we practically would do this. The dream team's where it's walked out, how we get them through that journey on those next steps is, we, man, we are affirming that God's calling your life, but we're unwilling to leave you where you are. That's our mentality. We see it, we believe it, and because we see and believe it, we're going to challenge you. Yes. And in the context of family and grounded with even a little bit of truth, they're, they're, they're hungry, yes. and they, they, they've built trust. We've built trust with them, and now they're just, they're, they're, you might think challenging a student would run them off. I'm telling you, man, it's like, it's like in this generation, because they think, statistics say they think that the key to, to a great life is financial security. I think that's because 2008 happened when they were kids. Right. They lost their house, and they didn't go to Disney World, right? And the economy crashed. So they think, if I have this, and of course, that's an empty promise. The devil overplays his hand. We're going to be speaking life and challenging them, and they're going to hear something not hearing anywhere else because that's an empty life, but what God's going to give them is a rich life. And yes. so serving or kids' ministry or anywhere else, it's just step after step, getting them that purpose for the rest of their life. So that's, that's those three questions. They were, what is truth? Where do I belong? Does my life matter? If we can answer those, we got them. And all of our programming, all of our programming has to wrap into one of those or multiple of those, or we don't do it. If it doesn't help us do those, we are going to cut it off. No sacred cows. So on that note, anything you want to add? Or I think at this point, it's start, we've got about 30 minutes. Let's, yeah, let's, let's hit some questions mm-hmm. and, uh, and go for it. It's in, in any direction, kids, students, programming, whatever. So, yes. Oh, no, you, oh, got, you, got, a, a you got the mic. You're in charge. You're in charge. Do you have all your students 13? How old do they have to be to serve in kids' ministry, middle school and up? That is a great question. So one of the things that we found— And do you make them go through growth track just like adults? Yes. Okay, so great question. One of the things we found that's are always wrestling with the sixth-grade year, right? Every church in America is wrestling with what do we do with sixth graders because our elementary ministry is a first through fifth grade— experience. What we found, though, is it's important, again, with parents and with children to have multiple on-ramps for a sixth grader. And what does that mean is we like to have really blurry lines. So if you were to line three sixth graders up, um, where they are emotionally and maturity could all be vastly different. But by the time those same three 12-year-olds are seen, that has leveled out. So what we would say is you can be in sixth grade at Highlands and you can be on the front row taking notes with Pastor Chris, going through the growth track, you know, or you can still be attending Highlands Kids as a sixth grader. We let parents pick. 
My daughter, front row, right after fifth grade, taking notes, loving life. My son sat through an entire another year as an attendee in Highlands Kids because that's where he was emotionally. Super advanced, already serving on the JV Dream Team at a, at a little bit of an earlier age. So we want to partner with parents in that critical year. Does that make sense? Because it's not easy. So sixth grade, they can begin serving in Highlands Kids. And they do go through the growth track. And they do go through the growth track. Yeah, and that's a great. She's asking if they go through the normal growth track, and that's something we talked about for a long time. In fact, we, we actually it. we actually have tried different angles, and she has a, a version of that for kids themselves. But once they hit that twelve year old age, we want them going through the growth track. And the cool thing in our student ministry is they go through that with their small group leader. Now they can go with their parents, they can go on their own, but small groups are built to facilitate steps. So leaders are looking to to take them through the growth track. And- Exactly. It's the exact same. And we've seen great, great fruit from that. But I think the the key that we've found is for that sixth grade year, having multiple avenues for a sixth grader to stay connected in church life, it's not a one size fit all. And we found some really great traction with letting our parents, as long as they're educated, they're going to guide their child toward the most appropriate thing. I'm just picking one section at a time, so I'll get to you, I promise. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, I've just noticed that with the millennials and some of the, the guys who the, bringing their kids now to church, that they've started doing this thing where, oh, my kids can't have candy and maybe you should limit the time of video and blah, 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 and all these little restrictions. I'm like, are you kidding me? So Are um, they asking for kale? They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Can I give them a rice cake? You know, I mean, how boring, you know? Yeah. So uh, what do you suggest as an alternative to this? Because, you know, I'm finding it's it's happening a lot, you know, and I know people are trying to get their kids off sugar and I'm, I'm okay with that. But how do we, how do we manage that kind of thing? What do you suggest? So we, we have actually faced that recently. Um, it doesn't come up. Um, okay. So what we're doing now is we're creating options. So in our small group boxes, just to be practically, cause kids, people like the practical answer. Um, we're having like little gifts or stickers in the small group boxes for the children whose parents don't want them to have candy. So just kind of creating options. We also are doing whole series where we do no candy at all. We're doing other types of giveaways because again, we have, I enjoyed, I mean, truthfully, as a parent, <laughs> truthfully, I've enjoyed even this. I'm, I'm a, I'm a pro sugar parent. Come on. Like that's you only, you only young once. I can't eat it now. Let them eat it then. You know, it's like, so, um, so, uh, uh, I love that used to the, the the sucker box was at the back door when they were leaving. And how are you going to tell a kid no? And now actually it's at the front door. So when I'm walking in, I have the choice before my kid sees it. That's in preschool. So we've done in, that. It, yeah, it's empowering the parent mm-hmm. to say, okay, if I want the sucker, I get it. My kid doesn't ever see it. They get a gift. They all, but the sucker is my choice, not not theirs. Because if they see the sucker, you're done. So. But to speak to the greater thing that we're seeing with our millennial parents is they do want a customized experience. They want us to they want us to understand their parenting philosophy and they want us to understand the details more than my generation did when I was bringing my kids through kids ministry. So you're on to the right thing that we we are customizing more and they want they want an Instagram moment. They don't want sugar. You know, they want community and we've got to be asking ourselves how are we creating that? in the Sundays all the time. Hi. So I'm just thinking about all these great things that you do. In what ways are you engaging and activating the parents to be a part of the journey that you help take kids on? 
Right. So one of the biggest things that we're looking at right now, learning from our parents, is using the power of this. Okay, this has a lot of negative things, but it also has some powerful tools that we can utilize. So um, social media is really critical for us to tell our story. Parents, we did some focus groups um, this past December or January, and we learned what we thought was true, but they resoundingly told us, yes, that they hate paper. So Mark's got four kids in school, he and Jill could go home with like 10 sheets of paper a day for each child, right? Like there's so much that parents are having to wade through in the line of information. And, you know, we're in the Bible Belt South, so I'm like, I'm gonna prove to you that we taught your child the Bible today. Here's this paper. I know in my brain they're not looking at that, but I wanted to prove to them. Yeah, we're not, and we we're hate not, pa- we and hate, we hate paper. it. That's more paper than I can see in a whole week. So you know, we, like- we, we killed paper. Um, we actually just killed paper in the Bible Belt South at our church. That's crazy, but we did it. And parents have been overwhelmingly pleased. So now we have an opt-in text message for parents um, so they can just have the main point or the scripture passage texted to them. And then we're also telling that story on social media. So they are controlling how we're giving them information, which has been super successful. Um, and then in preschool, what we did, this is just a small thing, but we took the coloring sheet that a child does every Sunday. And we put the main point content on the coloring sheet. The mom and dad are more likely to value that because my child colored it. Um, A significant win, practically. And then just following up that uh, with with student ministry. So like in our church, you mentioned it, the connection card, when he was talking about the the testimony of the guy he reached, that's something that our church does every week. So visitors would fill that out. If you get saved, you check the box, prayer request. Uh, A while back in student ministry, again, moving away from paper and just being, being, trying to get into the, making sure we don't get stuck in any kind of uh, delivery mechanism of the vision, but understand the heart of it and, and whatever vehicle we use. It's paper, we outgrew paper for students a while back, so it's digital, same thing with text. So like when we're reaching kids and students in a, in a meeting, um, if they're new, they're able to text in and join this program. We're actually able to communicate with them, help them get in a small group. They get saved, they text in and let us know. We're sending them next steps digitally, a devotional instantly with next steps. Here are small groups in your area. And next step, and all those next steps can come through digital. So just, you know, main thing is what I love is you're just listening. You know, consider what they want, give them what they need. I mean, that that's what leaders do. But we're we're listening so that we can understand where people are, deliver the vision. Great question. Hey, thank you all for sharing with us uh, this afternoon. You mentioned safety earlier, Pastor Beth, and I was just wondering for both of you, what are some some standard safety things you guys have in place, and even maybe some things that are new over the past, you know, one, three, five years. You are asking the right person. Take as long as you want, because this is important. So, this, le- I'm telling y'all, she's on the front end of this. This, everyone needs every whatever you're doing, you need to lock in because this, this is this is the world we're living in. If we lose this, we lose everything. Right. Um, I think obviously, um, you know, your 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 safety is really going to come to how you train your team. So ask the question, do we have video cameras in this room? Yes, we do. But at the end of the day, you can still have video cameras in a room and have something horrible happen. Now, if you have the luxury of being able to afford video cameras, that's great. That's another layer of protection. But the main protection that you're going to have is how you train your team uh, to be aware. So number one thing ever, ever, ever that will protect everyone is that period, we are never, ever alone with a child, period. I am never alone with a child. 
I love Mark's children. They know me well. I'm still never alone with a child. Like no one is ever alone with a child. And if you could just, and that's the true in student ministry because this is where it gets more gray and more messy is we're in these situations and the number one thing you can do to protect the ministry is just no one is ever alone with a child. And when I'm a child, I mean minor. We're just never gonna be alone. And that will save almost all issues. Almost all issues go away with that one thing. If everyone is empowered, that anyone who's trying to get away, we're gonna train our team to watch for people who are trying to draw children or students to themselves. So when you have a leader who doesn't like to go in with the group- You're not training a few people for that, like police. We're training training everyone. We have to educate everyone. So some tools that'll help you with this. What we're using right now is a, a ministry tool called Ministry Safe. I'm gonna give a shout out to Ministry Safe. These are companies in Texas who have a ministry. Their um, their whole is devoted to sexual abuse and child abuse, and they have an online program that we're taking all of our dream team through this year. It's very inexpensive, but you can take your whole team through. The base, the best way to stop abuse is to raise awareness. Like when everyone is educated, then a, a predator wants to go into a world where someone doesn't know. Like they don't know what to look for. They don't know what to watch for. So again, raising this through something like a ministry safe, an online class you can take your team through. Most of it is about education awareness and actually following through with the policies that you have. Video cameras are great. They're a luxury, but really at the end of the day, background checks are awesome. Background check your people. Okay, every, in that again, but I would say background check. We always say every decision at Highlands need to be made through two filters. Protect the child, protect the church. Those are your filters. In that order. Right. Protect the church. As a student pastor, as a children's pastor, those are your filter. We're going to protect make every decision we can to keep young people safe, and we're going to protect the church. Because this is what I always think. At the end of the day, it'll never be my name on the news. Think about that. The weight of the responsibility you have when you're leading on behalf of your senior pastor and you're leading on behalf of your church. It will never be Beth Cunningham. It will be Chris Hodges and Church of the Highlands. And I lay my head down tonight saying, I'm going to make the best decision can to protect what hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have, have spent their lives building, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect the child. I'm going to protect the church. And so much of that is make sure, and if you don't have policies and procedures, please steal ours. I promise we've been stealing them from other people for... <laughs> For a long time. And how would they get those? So all of those are available at growleader.com. So again, from a liability standpoint, I feel like I have to think like the church a lot. And and I'm glad to do that. You can't just have policies. You've got to have policies in writing. You can't just train people. Heaven forbid we ever had to testify in court. I actually had to be able to prove we trained people. So have policies, take ours, put your name on them, make them better, give them back to us. You know, when you do, we'll, we'll take them back, but you, you've got to have written policies and procedures. You have to have trainings that you document that you trained. Who was there and what did we cover? And then we actually have to follow through with what we say we're going to do. Biggest one is no one is ever alone with a child. But if you can raise your education level by ministry safe or some type of course, then I, you know what, I can stand up and say, I can't guarantee what every single person that serves in student ministries or in Highlands Kids is going to do at Church of the Highlands. But I can stand up and say, we have done everything we can to prevent something from happening in this house. And that's the confidence to operate with. I love that. Any other questions on that specifically? Uh, maybe it could be anywhere in the room. Go ahead. And I'm, I can just repeat your question. No, you have a great voice. You're good. No. So. 
Yes. Yep. Right. Sure. I think so. Part of my role here is to oversee our special needs ministry, adult and child. And I think with special needs, you do have to be very um, clear about what you cannot offer um, because scope of care can get really interesting where you can put yourself in a situation of liability. Um, so I think in a situation like that, um, you know, we we would not have been able to make that accommodation that day for that family. Because what will happen if you don't draw good boundaries? Can you describe ours for Haven? Right. So for us, for Highlands Haven, with our special needs ministry, we can't offer adult care at every location. So adult care at the location, we can staff it safely. So we begin, um, you know, anywhere from three years and adults would be anything over 18. So we have teen ministry at some of our campuses, not all of our campuses. So again, this is... Pastor Chris has gave me great wisdom um, in this. With our special needs ministry, we would never go ahead of our resources, right? Um, safety, right? Because once we take this family in, we're saying we can care safely for your child. Well, maybe I can't. And I don't ever want to take a special needs family and I don't want to um, overpromise and under deliver, right? So it's better to say, and there have been times where we've said, you know what? We don't have this in place yet. We're growing toward it, um, but the answer is we can't. And those are people don't like to have those difficult conversations, but you got to have them. And and a lot of that would be on Grow Leader as well, like the Highlands Haven vision and all of all of Highlands Haven, all of our training, all of our policies. GrowLeader.com. Right here on the side. Oh, here. Hey, y'all. Uh, what is your what's your process? You know, you get a student um, makes a decision to follow Christ, best decision they'll ever make. What's your process for following up? Um, gathering that information, how to follow up with the students. I mean, we have incredible leaders who want to, you know, connect with these kids. And then, you know, maybe it's an emotional decision and then they don't want to talk to you afterwards. What's yeah. your what's your process for following up? And Bubba's in the room and he can make sure they jump in. But that text message program we're using is the primary initial conversation. So we're going to give them at the end of the service an opportunity, really several times in the service. And there's it can be the hook. The hook can be you're new here or the hook can be you got saved. But either way, now we're in communication. So... They're going to fill out a form essentially through a series of questions that gives us their basic information. And of course, you know, no different than a card. It's their their decision whether or not they want to engage in that. Do we still do the free T-shirt if they finish? We don't do that anymore. That was probably people do a lot for a free T-shirt. But anyway, so um, uh, so the incentive or whatever. But um, this is a terrible idea. But anyway, so uh, I would just say that, that allowing them to engage in that, and then communication starts at that point. So our team actually following up with those. Um, those um, new students or salvations or whatever are able to identify the location they're in and then supply them. I mentioned the devotional that we're able to give them, um, point them to, we have some version resources now and there's a lot of great resources out there just helping them walk through. How long is the initial devotional? Yeah, there's a seven and 14 day devotional that we've developed and so we're able to help them devotionally. We're able to give them next steps, which would be water baptism, how to make that available and then also connect them with small groups, not because we have a lot of small groups we're all around the state of Alabama. The key is being able to give them small groups in their area. So one of, not to go into too much detail, and we can, and Bubba will be around if you want to talk more later. There's a, there's a group, uh, or a section of small groups we call city groups, which are going to be our first touch groups. So there's going to be one in their area. 
we're going to point them to that, which gets them into the, the environment that we actually see as the functional environment. Once they're in a small group, that's actually the youth group, if you want to you know, kind right. of use that language, because now their small group leader who we've trained is, is ready to take them in, integrate them relationally, assess where they are spiritually, and then help them take steps along the way. And so if, if the, and I'm, in fact, the only reason we do, we do one service a month. The only reason we do it is to get them in groups. Right. Like if it didn't help, like if it wasn't doing that, we are a small groups youth ministry. That's our, that's our, that's our unit that we're going to, we're going to pass our students through. And so that's, it's done digitally, you know, that way. And then from that, it, it get them as fast as possible into face-to-face relationships. So good. Yep. So good. Um, at what age do you let the, the children, the younger ones, teens, whatever, begin helping with children's ministry? And at what age are men allowed to be involved at children's ministry? That's a great question. Um, we start in sixth grade. They can begin serving, but their roles are limited. So years ago, Mark and I partnered, what do we want for a middle school stu- student in the context of their serve and kids ministry? You know, we wanted them to have a, a real staffing assignment. And what we meant by that was we want them to actually not be a subset of a team. We want them to be on the team, right? They're not this little program. They're actually on the remember, kids team. planted in the church. That's, planted, that's the not, vision. not we're little helpers, but I'm on and, the preschool team. And even that's the reason we don't do track like that was like is getting them integrated into church life as as fast as in many ways as possible the second thing we wanted for them was a meaningful serve meaning like that they can do something that they can actually win in right like so that's where as a kids team we had to define things like example practically we don't allow our 13 year olds to go serve in a baby room Right. Well, because lawyer Beth puts on that hat and said I'm gonna have all kind of liability issues when that 13 drops Right. So defining in our house, where can they win? Where can they have a meaningful serve and where can they successfully execute it? Um, and so defining those roles. So we on-ramp middle schoolers beginning in three-year-old classrooms. Again, we're not dealing with diaper changes and we're not picking anyone up. So they can begin serving in preschool environments in middle school um, through HK. Men in our house, and let me just say our house is not, this is not a right or wrong. This is just what we have. We introduced males into our classroom again in the three at the point that children are, are potty trained. Um, we do not have men serving in our babies, walkers, or two-year-old rooms. Again, I'm not making a statement about whether that's right or wrong. That's just what's been culturally appropriate here for the audience and the demographic that we serve. And our parents seem to love that. Um, and I can tell you, we have some uh, dads and some college guys that serve. This is our kindergarten room at this campus, and they make a tremendous impact um, in that environment. So that's that's been the flow. Start at three and up. Three-year-olds. And then as far as 12-year-olds as well, outside of just kids ministry, they're able to serve at certain areas. They have meaningful serve other areas in the church as well. Right. So, you know, whether that be a greeter, a greeter at the door, handing out connection cards, or with their parents, usually a father on the parking team. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, there are some limitations, but as we are always looking at every area of serve and saying, can we get not, not, you know, we're not pushing them down. We're actually trying to get as many places as possible. And the cool thing is uh, same thing happens. They, there's a natural mentoring moment when they're serving alongside adults and the church looks like younger. Right. And that's a, a huge positive. There's more energy around that and excitement around that. When you let students, instead of, you know, making them work towards getting there, it's like, no, how many places can we get them as quickly as possible? Let's get them serving and have that meaningful, you know, connection to purpose. Maybe one more. Would that be okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this might be a loaded question, so I'm going to try to make it a little bit more specific context-wise. Um, so I work with college kids, um, but we're in, so we're in West Michigan, which is like, kind of reminds me of here, like it's very 
um, conservative, like a little bit more old school with the older people. But we live in a college town, so we also have this big population of like very diverse, just like ideologically, stuff like that. Um, so right now we're small, so it's easy to have the relationships. But how are you guys implementing, like, I guess, system-wise? Um, pushing that, like, what the direction of the church is without being, like, closed off or, like, if you don't have an established relationship with, like, a say, a college kid or, like, even just, I guess, any age now, that whole generational thing. How are you, like, staying, like, keeping the integrity of, like, where your church is going without making it seem like you're either with us or you're not? Sort of deal. Uh, culturally. Yeah, I and mean, that's a large. That's a, that is a large question. I don't know if it's loaded, but it's definitely a, a broad question. And there's a lot of ways we could, you know, if we were sitting down, we could we could kind of work through it. I think overall, I mean, you you heard my pastor last night speak. I think it starts with his vision and his heart, and and Mekon said it as well today. Heaven and hell are realities. Yeah. So the posture of our church is not, you know, a, a, a it's open at the very top. I mean, it's literally like our entire mission. He preached this just last week is to reach people. In the name of Jesus, so that's right. our culture is. We're not big enough yet. Like we're driven towards that. That people. so our Sunday services are built not with church members in mind, but with lost. Our small groups. You know, they may that may sound like oh, it's a Bible. You know, Bible study that seems closed, but in fact, our main rhythm is we do three small group seasons a year, and the reason we do that is we can start and stop so that no group is so long. You know, once a group's been going for two years, it feels closed. But all of our groups start. Right. Think about the energy to start a lot of groups. Then we just kill them all for Christmas, and they're all dead, and then we bring them all back. That's but what that does is create natural rhythms to reach. And I think as far as college ministry goes, and you know, because he was college pastor in a city, a godless city of Tuscaloosa, University of Alabama, they just need Jesus. I mean, they're, they have obviously sold their soul to the devil um, um, to win national championships. But anyway, um, but, uh, you know, I think our student ministry is another— doorway into our church so that same spirit would be in that we, we do a few services not a lot but they're always to reach services are to reach those who aren't there and everybody gets blessed but it's to reach and then our our small groups just like church small groups are grab bring your friend we even create rhythms throughout the groups for certain nights like we're going to pack the house tonight like we're going to bring people who aren't in this group yet just that's that intentionality that comes back all the way to pastor chris's heart of you know I don't care what kind of press it gets. You can say you think we're doing whatever. All we're trying to do is build the kingdom of God. Come on. So we're not big enough yet. We're going to keep growing till till we till we're out of here. So. Well, just a couple of things real quick. We got to wrap it up because another. So, do you want to tell us just how to maybe get connected with you on social media? Maybe just your Twitter handles or your Instagram. No, after Mekon preached, I'm not. I'm actually not. Right. Okay. Mark, so Mark is all social I'm media. Good. I'm good. Don't connect with him. No, I think anything, go to Church of the Highlands. You can link to any of us through that. And then growleader.com really would be the one thing we would both say. Growleader.com. Everything we do as a church, we put it on that website, and it's all free. Hey, hang on real quick. So the guys at Highlands actually asked me, can you close that door? That would be awesome. And then everybody actually filter these two doors right here. Thank you, pastors. Bye, y'all. Thank Mark you. Mark and Beth Beth.